So I was putting the finishing touches on what was doubtless another insightful and inspiring Will Preach for Food podcast on Friday morning when news broke out about the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And in my immediate family, among close friends, in this congregation, I know that there are a variety of responses to this news. Some are relieved and rejoicing. Others are grieving, fearful, and angry. How do you feel about abortion? What do you think about this latest Supreme Court declaration? When does life begin? What will your response, our response, be moving forward? There's a lot to process. Now, it's tempting to lump everyone into us versus them and assume that people are on our side are virtuous and justified while people on the other side are immoral, callous, and calculating. It's tempting to shrug our shoulders, decide that everybody has a right to their own opinion, and go back to a life of blissful ignorance and cute puppy videos on Facebook. But no, this issue matters. And we, the church, we as a nation, have work to do. We have to remember that most of us, among my family, my friends, this congregation, even across the country, I believe, I believe that most of us are in relative agreement about the value of human life and about the fundamental right of a person to be able to make choices about their own bodies. We don't agree about things like when exactly a person becomes a person. We might have different views about the state of our democracy and the dream of liberty and justice for all, because some people in this country have more liberty and justice than others. Well, I'm probably more on the progressive side of this whole issue, and that I tend to view abortion access through the lens of protecting a woman's right to make her own decisions about her body. And I know that there are others who view abortion primarily through the lens of your belief about the beginning of human life. Now, I don't know anybody who truly likes abortion or seeks to undo traditional families or thinks it's okay to kill people. I also don't know anybody who thinks that slavery, the subjugation of women, or white male body supremacy is a good thing, or that we ought to make life scarier for vulnerable populations. Anybody who thinks these things, I'm probably going to be the first one to object, oppose them and reject. But I'll warn you up front. This podcast will probably disappoint you. It won't be angry enough. It won't be unbiased enough. It'll be too political or it won't be political enough. It'll sound condescending or timid. It'll sound weak or judgmental. I won't say enough. I'll definitely say too much. But here goes. I'm going to begin with the prayer of King David praying that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. For you are our rock and our redeemer. You are the Holy One, our ever-present help in times of trouble. For Jesus' sake, amen. And with all that as preface, hello. Welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. We're based out of Shelton, Washington. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Faith is a welcoming community. We're growing closer to and more like Jesus. We're trying to make Christ known. And we do this by joyfully serving each other, serving our neighbors and all God's creation, all to the glory of God and for the sake of the world. 
You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. And I want to thank you for listening today. I am recording this on the third Sunday after Pentecost. My sermon title is Calling Down Fire, based on a reading from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. A little bit later, we'll look at some verses from Galatians chapter 5, but we begin with the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 51. Scripture says that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the word of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. So this story, we know from the Gospels that Jesus travels all over the countryside, preaching, teaching, healing. It's his gig. He does it mostly in an area called Galilee, which is populated by folks that he's familiar with, royal, uh, rural Jewish folk. Occasionally, he and his disciples venture outside of Jewish circles, like last week's Bay of Pigs incident on the other side of the lake. And now today, uh, when their travel itinerary leads them through Samaritan territory. Now, just being in this neck of the woods makes the disciples really uncomfortable. Because Samaritans, to the Jews, are, well, they're, they're heathens, which is even worse than Lutherans. What we know uh, today is that Jews and Samaritans both had their roots in Abraham in the Ten Commandments and King David, the whole nine yards of the Old Testament. But somewhere along the line, somewhere between King David and the time of Jesus, there was a schism. The two groups diverged, and now they just don't generally associate with each other. Reminds me of a professor of mine who grew up with the Lutheran kids on one side of the street and the Catholic kids lined up on the other side of the street on Sunday mornings after church, throwing crab apples at each other. So Jews and Samaritans don't get along, and, and so the, the, the disciples are already feeling vulnerable. And then the event itself doesn't seem to go well. I wonder if the accommodations were substandard, if the venue was too small, if the acoustics were bad. Maybe a more well-known faith healer was already booked down the street for the same night. Maybe it rained on them just before the altar call. They probably lost their damage deposit. And to top it all off, there was no free breakfast in the morning. So they're leaving town. The disciples and their stomachs are grumbling. James and John approach Jesus with a rather petty and drastic move. How about we call down fire from the sky and show them what's what? Jesus pauses and turns. He realizes that they're serious. He takes a deep breath, considers carefully what to say. No, he says, just no. Because bringing destruction down on your enemies doesn't work. Righteous anger, Jesus knows, is mostly just anger. After all, we have the entire Old Testament as an object lesson on how not to establish the kingdom of God. We have chapter after chapter, book after book, century after century of killing enemies, enslaving populations, hamstringing horses and burning villages, building big armies and bigger temples, and none of it works. 
sitting on a hilltop feeling morally superior to all those other people while committing all the same atrocities, neglecting the same widows and orphans, oppressing the same poor. No, just no. I get. I get the fear and anger that many people in my family and in this congregation around the country are feeling today. Over the last few years, this nation, for so many people, feels significantly less safe, especially for so many women, for children, for people of color. Freedoms and liberties are being constricted. Protections are being weakened or eliminated. It's harder to vote and easier to get a gun? We are putting a ridiculous number of people in jail, and they are disproportionately African-American men and now overturning Roe v. Wade, putting at further risk a woman's access to health care, putting at greater risk a woman, <laughs> uh, the uh, risk of a woman being thrown in jail for the crime of having been raped by some old guy with free access to Viagra. I mean, can you blame them for wanting to call down fire from the sky? Enough already. How long will the shadow of slavery and subjugation and supremacy continue to dim the bright light of liberty and justice for all? And I get. I get the visceral, primal anguish experienced by so many of you who believe that late-stage abortion... Maybe some of you early stage abortion or any other stage of abortion is the taking of a human life. I mean, we just don't do that. It's wrong. Nobody deserves to have their life taken away before it even starts. It's not about slavery. It's about murder. So can you blame them for wanting to call down fire from the sky? Enough already. How long will the shadow of murder continue to dim the bright light of liberty and justice for all? How long indeed? Turns out we've been asking that question for a couple thousand years. And look at this story from Luke chapter 9. And I I see in the disciples, I see that that victim mentality, that us versus them tendency, their propensity to, to blame and punish those people for what they did to us. Us versus them. I noticed Jesus' rebuke. Just no. And then how he continues faithfully, passionately toward Jerusalem where he will lay down his life for the sake of the whole world, including those angry disciples and inhospitable Samaritans, as the Gospel of John reminds us, for the Son came into the world not to destroy it, but to save it. And I notice and I wonder what it means that not long after this story takes place, from Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56, later in Luke chapter 10, about verse 29 or so, Jesus tells a parable about a man on his way to Jericho who gets beat up, robbed, and left for dead, ignored by two devout fellow Jews, but then tended to and cared for by a Samaritan. And I wonder if maybe that Samaritan was in attendance that night when the venue was too small and the acoustics were bad. 
Maybe that's when he heard Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, about how God sets the prisoners free and gives sight to the blind. Maybe he heard Jesus teach about loving your enemies, caring for the widow and the orphan, doing good when no one else is watching. And that when you give a cup of cold water to even one of the least of these, you do it unto God himself. That compassion is the highest form of worship. I tell you, until today, I've always just assumed that Jesus had made up that story about the Good Samaritan. It's a parable, after all. But today, I wonder if the Road to Jericho event really maybe happened that way. And that a person's life was saved because Jesus refused to call down fire from the sky over a difference of opinion and an empty stomach. Fire from the sky was replaced with a cold cup of water. So what do we do with all this? How do we respond? I want to start by giving this affirmation that you are loved. No matter what you've done, no matter the choices that you've made in your life, you are loved. Much of the political rhetoric of our day seeks to condemn and punish women who have chosen to seek out abortion or even ask questions about it. No matter what the laws of a state or a nation might say, you are not a murderer. In this congregation, you are welcome as you are. You are not judged. You are not condemned. You are only loved, only loved by God and by the people of faith. Next, we need to work for liberty and justice for all. It's a, it's a reminder that says that um, this is the heart of our calling as Americans, but more importantly, our calling as Christians. Every attack on another person's life, their freedom, their dignity is contrary to the American ideal and out of step with the kingdom of God. The church was and is and continues to be called to be a conscience for the nation, to promote peace and stand in solidarity with the oppressed, to defend the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. We are called upon to set the prisoner free, liberate the slave, give a voice to the victims of violence and hate. Now, how we do this matters too. And Galatians chapter 5 offers a clear warning and invitation for the people of faith that just because the world does it a certain way doesn't mean that we should. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. There's a total of 15 Greek words there, but uh, these verses warn us against adopting the politics of discord and hatred, of dissension, of fits of rage, of factionalism, othering, prejudice, and self-promotion. That in fact, those who practice these things are not only out of step with the Holy Spirit, but they will have no share in the kingdom of God. No, the Bible says, live according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Fire from the sky isn't the answer, and the ends never justify the means. And then at the same time, Galatians 5.22 goes on to call us to lean into the fruits of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits are potent. They are neither passive nor pointless. Just look at the nonviolent protests of Gandhi and of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Look at the example of Christ Jesus. These are models for effecting change. It is a long fight, but in the end, love wins. 
Now, in the meantime, in, in light of overturning of Roe v. Wade, the people of faith need to step up. Women are scared. They have fewer protections, fewer resources, fewer options, and fewer places to turn for help. We've got to step up. Now, some of these laws go, merely, go beyond merely outlawing abortion, but appear to outright be efforts to control and subjugate women and their bodies. And this is slavery. We have to oppose that. We need to be more intentional about our solidarity with and acceptance of, of the chunks of our population that are feeling their liberties under attack. We need to figure out how to step up to provide more resources and supports for young moms and newborns. We need to do stuff locally, and we need to also advocate at a state and federal level as well for more social services, not less, more resources for the poor, not less, more access to housing and health care, not less, more acceptance of diversity, not less. And for that matter, what does that mean then for our church and for our church budget and our priorities? Finally, we need to keep the dialogue open. We need to talk to each other. We need to find places of agreement and common ground. We need to understand uh, where we diverge and respectfully disagree. We need less fire from the sky and more good Samaritans. We need less politics and more fruits of the Spirit. We need more listening, and we definitely need more Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the conversation going. Seek out conversations with people who think differently than you do. If you have some good resources to share or, or ways that we can serve or bless people in need, reach out to me at our website, www.faithshelton.org. You can also find other resources there about our ministries and community partnerships, ways you can participate, ways you can serve, ways you can contribute, ways you can grow in faith and love in Jesus Christ. So thanks for listening to this podcast. I thank you, Chaz, for, um, for all your work every week. And God bless each of us as we try to figure this stuff out for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.